Well, good evening, everyone. Good to have you joining us in the middle of the week. It's always good to be together with God's people and just to be reminded again of God's goodness and his grace and to send each other once again. What a blessing it is to, to have that fellowship. Um, today I'd like to look at a couple, um, well, Acts chapter 10 we're going to start off with. Of course, in our Sunday morning service, we've been going through Acts. And I want to talk about um, the role of prayer in our lives and how we see that being played out in Acts. In Acts chapter 10, we see the gospel beginning to spread, and it's going, um, it's not staying in Jerusalem where it started, but it's reaching out to the, to the uh, neighboring communities and even further out. And in chapter 10, it's this interaction that the Apostle Peter has with this Gentile, a man who's not a Jew, his name is Cornelius, and um, look how the gospel begins to spread. One of the things I want us to see is that it's God's purpose, and we see that in Acts, that the gospel just spread throughout the whole world. It's still his purpose today that that gospel spread throughout the whole world. And God um, accomplishes his purpose through prayer, through us desiring that to happen, praying for that to happen, and God is responding and allowing that to happen and using us for, for that to happen. He uses prayer in several ways, starting in chapter 10. It says in verse 2, a devout man, speaking of Cornelius, who feared God with all his household, he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. This is an interesting part because it says this man is devout, that he gives to help people. He was a, a generous, giving person. Um, but this person wasn't saved. He wasn't saved. Um, and his generosity and his, even his prayer uh, wasn't what made him have a right relationship with God. In fact, he, God is drawing him to himself. And God is going to answer this prayer um, and give this man what he desperately needed. And that is a right relationship with God by knowing Jesus Christ. Here's a good man that needs Christ. Too often we think that, hey, if, if you're good like this man, he is a man of power and position. Uh, he was a generous and loving, charitable person. If that was good enough, then why would God come and add anything to that? Obviously, that's not good enough. He needed to know Christ. He needed a relationship with God that's only established through knowing Christ as his Lord and Savior. So he prays. God answers his prayer. <clears throat> Sinners pray, and God does not respond to their prayer except uh, according to his purpose and his will, and it's his will that this man be saved. And God, God is going to hear this prayer. It says, um, 
he prayed continually to God. And it says in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. In other words, God has been hearing your prayer, Cornelius, and he's now going to answer that prayer. So God is responding in response to a prayer, even a prayer of a man that's not connected with him yet, but soon will be. So prayer has a role here. Later on, um, in a couple of verses, it says in verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, P Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Peter is praying. So if here you have Cornelius in a town called Caesarea, and Peter was in a town a little ways away at, called Joppa. And Cornelius is praying to God. And Peter is praying to God. And neither one of these men knew each other. And neither one of them knew exactly what they were praying for or how God would answer it. But God would connect them together and answer both of their prayers. The prayer God is using to, um, to further his word and to, and to um, bring about his purpose. And he, he's going to do that. Now, you know, as you read throughout the rest of that story in chapter 10, God is speaking to Peter and preparing him for taking the gospel to Cornelius. And uh, he uses a vision to do that. And then he speaks to Peter and let him know, I want you to go with, with the messengers that Cornelius have sent to you, and I want you to take the gospel over to him in Caesarea and to his whole household. And um, <clears throat> um, Peter does that. When, Pete, when Peter gets to Cornelius' house, um, it says in verse 27, as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. <clears throat> and so he begins to talk with, this, with them. And... Um, he asked Cornelius, you know, what did you send me here? What did you ask me to come here? Verse 30, Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before me. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. And so... Um, Cornelius just rehearsing with Peter what God had done and how God had answered his prayer and told him to send for Peter. And he sent for Peter and Peter was there now. And he, he, um, later on, Peter begins to uh, share the gospel with Cornelius. Do you see that in the, in the rest of the chapter there? So this gospel is shared as an answer to prayer, as answer prayer from two different individuals. All right. In chapter 11, um, after Cornelius and his whole household hear this gospel message, they, they believe in the gospel and they are saved. And now Peter has to go and explain kind of what happened um, to the church at Jerusalem because this is kind of unusual. A Gentile person now has come and has not just heard the gospel, but has received it and has believed in Christ and has turned to the Lord. 
And so Peter rehearses what happens. He tells them that he went, he was praying in Joppa. That's chapter 11, verse um, um, 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, Peter says. And so we see um, him re recounting um, what God had done uh, as a result of his prayer. <clears throat> As a result of Cornelius being saved, um, several things are happening. The gospel is spreading out further and further and further. Something else happens as well, and I think this is a connection with our prayer too. And that's in chapter 11, verse 19. It says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. I want you to think about, you don't have a map in front of you, but think about how the word of God is, is moving. It said Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And so it's, it's gone further and further and further. The gospel has, has gone. And people are hearing this, both Jew and Gentile, and they are being saved. This is a result of God's purpose and responding to the prayers of, of different individuals like Cornelius and like Peter. <clears throat> and so they start to focus on the gospel growing at this particular location in Antioch. Um, look at verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Um, verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus and to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So we see the gospel spreading, and now a church is established in Antioch. <clears throat> Notice what caused this church to, to be established in verse 19 is the persecution that caused the spread of the gospel. Uh, so persecution is something. Um, I believe persecution... Um, causes us to pray sometimes as well. And it is what God uses to ignite his purpose. And so it's not something that we like or something that we welcome, but God often uses that to get things going, to move things along, uh, to ignite um, the work that he wants to, to happen. And so he's using persecution and sometimes in response to persecution, we pray, and God is working through both of these things to, to, to further his gospel. I'm speaking about this because maybe that same thing is happening in, in some ways in your own life. Um, maybe the persecutions that are you encountering, um, you might not understand them, but God may be using that to continue his purpose, his good purpose, that the gospel reach out further and further. He will use persecutions. He will use uh, these things, um, even the unpleasant things, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. In chapter 12, we see persecutions again and how God uses that. Look, look with me at chapter 12, 
It says, uh, verse 1, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to, to arrest Peter also. So we see direct persecution on believers. He kills James, who was an uh, important part of the church there. And um, after doing that, he arrests Peter, and he fully intends to, to kill Peter. But it says in verse 5, um, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer, it says. Sometimes when we face persecution, um, it brings about earnest prayer. I'm praying that now that God would bring us to a point of earnest prayer so that his purpose um, will be accomplished. There's just a few people here today, but there's enough. <laughs> there's enough for earnest prayer to take place and for God to, to use that to, um, to, to further his purpose, his purpose in our lives and the impact of the gospel here in Milwaukee and wherever he would send us to. So Peter's arrested. They expect him to be killed by Herod. And so the church comes together and they pray. Later on in that chapter, Peter is miraculously delivered uh, from death. And, and uh, when the angel leads him out of prison, he heads to a prayer meeting. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Footnote there. Here we introduce to John Mark again, aren't we? Uh, we see him later on in the chapter. We'll see him again. The last verse of this chapter, we see his name again. And we, we, we see um, him just propping up um, in, in chapter uh, 13 and, and 14 as well. Um, but here... Um, it was at his mother's house that a prayer meeting was taking place. So Peter's headed there. It says, where many were gathered together and were praying. I would imagine they were praying for that same purpose, that Peter would be delivered. And Peter shows up at that very prayer meeting. They are praying. They are praying, praying earnestly. And God answers that prayer. Um, and and, and uh, we'll see. Um, what else God does later on in this chapter. I believe that's a result of prayer as well. Now, you can start reading at verse 20. You can see the interaction. Uh, another person in this chapter, Herod, it says, now Herod, um, uh, he, we see Herod being judged by God and, and God taking Herod's life in judgment as a result of his um, um, persecution of the church. And so God is answering prayer in different ways, but um, we, see, we see God stepping up and we see uh, the result of prayer as well. Um, and then in Acts chapter 13, what you see the impact of prayer as well. Verse 1 Now there was in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, and he, he mentions all those names. And, and then in verse, um, the end of verse 2, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Prayer was a very important part 
of the beginning of this, what we call the missionary um, um, ministry of uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas. They, the church got together and prayed. The church tonight is going to be praying. I ask that you would pray. I, pray that, I ask that you would pray fervently for God's work to continue in our hearts and in our lives, that we'll be faithful to God's word, that God would use that um, for his glory, that God would allow the gospel to go out through us and that um, individuals will come to know Christ as a result of that. The individuals will grow in their relationship with Christ and, and be a testimony wherever God sends them, sends them as a result um, of our prayers tonight. So we see that in, 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 in uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 3, um, the prayer of the believer and the start of the ministry to take the gospel out there. So I want to encourage you to pray tonight. I want to encourage you to pray and to understand that God uses prayer um, for his purpose. God wants to answer our prayer. We may seem small in number. Um, but God is still doing his work of getting his gospel out. And he would do that in response to our, faithful, um, our faithfulness in our prayer time. And saints, we've been continuing our meditation and revelations. And we've come to chapter 17. I'll just start reading there. It says, Then one of these seven angels who had the seven bowls came and to, said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arranged, rayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, and of the beast with seven heads, and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit, and go to destruction. And the dwellers of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has yet to come. When he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are one mind 
and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. And they will make her desolate and naked, and devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose, by being of one mind, and handing over their royal power to the beast, until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Scriptures like this what make people afraid to read the book of Revelation. can't really take away the mystery of this because that's the point of why it's written that way. One of the things that always make me laugh when I read this chapter is how the angel explained it, but then he explained it in such a way that it seems like he's not really explaining it. But we'll delve into it because I think there are a lot of clues to explain what we're looking at here. And I think that also a lot of people have brought a lot of nonsense into this chapter, and that's when I want to bring it in. Let's just start back at the beginning. Why was this book written? It was written to comfort troubled saints. And so when we get to Babylon, how is she described? Babylon, at the end, it says, is the great city. What's the great city? Well, in that day, it would have been Rome. What's a city? A city is a place that people gather together. It's a community. It's a society. And you got to keep in mind that this city is being described throughout chapter 17. But it's being pictured as this great whore. And I think sometimes when we think about the word whore, in our day and age, we kind of lose the meaning of it because we have such a terrible society. Right? If we lived in a day and age where most people got married and most of the people who got married were virgins, we would think about the whore, and a whore would be like, man, that's a terrible word to use. But nowadays, most people are whores. So it's really hard for us to relate to this. And the truth of the matter is, is that when you look at it, you sometimes, maybe you got to put it in your era. Yeah, maybe in the Bible days it was whore. Maybe in the 80s it was the Hollywood socialite. Maybe in the 90s and the 2000s it was a stripper. Maybe now it's Cardi B. But the point is, is that this is a lady who is known for her sexuality. That's what she's known for. And she's also described as a city. So what is Babylon? What is Babylon? Seated on many waters. Many people come to her. There's a few ways that you could think of it. Babylon is this world's culture that celebrates immorality and lust. But it's more than just a culture, it is an economy that is built off of celebrating sin. You might be like, well, Brian, I don't really get what that meant. Well, what's most of the internet? Who makes the most money on the internet? Pornographic companies do. 
what sells. Don't tell me food. Sex sells. If you were going to put it in today's term, Babylon would definitely be a porn star. She is one who entices all of the kings. What does she entice them to do? Now you may say, well, she entices her to, to have sex with her, but I think it's more than that. She entices them to be engaged in any form of sexuality and to celebrate that. It's the mentality of, I'm going to sin and I'm going to celebrate it too. Every time that you say, what stays in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, that's a little bit of Babylon. Right there. Las Vegas could be considered a form of Babylon. What went on in Rome? I think we don't talk about this enough as Christians, maybe because we got two clean minds. But you got to think about the fact that the emperor had a wife. And she was a little bit lustful. So you know what she did? She joined a whorehouse. And regular people just go into the whorehouse and there will be the empress in there. And that's what she did. That's how messed up that city was. And the king was okay with that. And you can read articles now about people saying, I'm okay with my girlfriend sleeping with other men. That's messed up. But who would celebrate that being messed up? You might say, man, we far away from that, except when is Pride Month? We have a Pride Month. We have a transgender movement where we celebrate people who are so twisted that they can't tell whether they're men or women. And we celebrate their twistedness. We have a society that celebrates a man looking at another man. And we can make jokes about it, but at the end of the day, it is perversion. It's perverted. It's messed up. It's crazy to me that we could look at a socket and say that's a female socket and this is a male socket and they go together but we can't figure it out with human bodies that's how messed up as a society we are and somebody celebrates that we go past that when we celebrate the breaking of male and female roles when we got movies out it may seem harmless to you but it's not harmless to me we got a story where we got all these female superheroes and they beating up all these men. Every man in the movie is stupid. Every time you turn on TV, who's the dumbest character in the family? It's the dad, right? How dumb men are. We don't need male leadership. What do you think male leadership being questioned leads to? Who's our leader in the church? It's not Mary. It's Jesus. But you see, we have a society that's built towards Babylon. What does Babylon like to do? Babylon doesn't want to be judged. Babylon does not want to be judged. So what is she drunk on? What is she drunk on? What did you say? Is that all? I think it's worse than that. What is she drunk on in verse 6? is drunk with the blood of the saints. Okay. What would happen to you if you went in the middle of a gay pride parade and you say, you know what, this is sin. Alright, and let's say somebody hit you with a car while you did that. What would the comments on Facebook be? Positive. I mean, I hate to see violence, but they got him. He deserved to be out of there, right? They celebrate 
bad things happening to people who stand for judgment. And it's going to get worse, not better. It's going to get worse. What's the problem with Babylon? The problem with Babylon is that it's so evil it can't support itself. You see, if you're a feminist, you may say you stand for sexual liberation, but at the end of the day, you start to hate men. And how much sex are you having with people that you hate? And if you're a feminist, you dang for sure can't stand for somebody that's transgender that was a man yesterday and now they're saying they're a woman. Now they think they, they deserve women's rights. And then you got in women's rights for your sexual freedom, but now somebody else is a lesbian right next to you? Who's the real woman? And a lesbian is saying, I'm more of a woman than you because I love women. And the transgender person is saying, I'm better than you because I used to be a woman. And so they all at war with each other. How does that movement sustain itself? Let's think of it another way. What organization can stand if everybody in it is a liar? Even the mafia needs somebody to tell the mob boss the truth. They may lie to the FBI, but they have a code within themselves that at least tell the truth within their organization, right? They may say, don't rat us out. But tell us what happened. In other words, evil can become so evil that it cannot stand on its own. What happens? Satan's kingdom destroys itself. That's what happens to evil. Ultimately, that's what it does. To me, it's just like what happens at our schools. Somebody becomes an atheist. They start to hate themselves. Then they go to school and they decide to shoot everybody else. But at the end of the day, when they done shooting everybody else, who do they shoot? They kill themselves. They destroy themselves. That is the nature of evil. It is self-destructive. And there's only one way to conquer that kind of evil. That's the lamb. It says they will make war on the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with Him are called, He knows you by name, chosen, He chose you, and faithful. You may think that's a credit to you. We were talking about that in leadership meeting. If God didn't put faithfulness in you, there's no amount of effort that can bring it out of you. Babylon falls because Babylon could never stand. So sometimes when we look at this world, we see a messed up system. And I get it. I see it too. And sometimes it may feel hopeless. I'm telling you that the tower that the world is built on is a leaning tower. And the higher they build, the worse it'll be when it falls. their fate is set. He said the beast was, is, and is to come. But he came out of the bottomless pit. He's going 
cast the fate of all evil people. Amen. Monica, what is on your heart for prayer today? children um specifically christopher um he's been struggling a little bit in school with his reading and his math so yeah okay i'll expand that too so we'll we'll keep monica's children in prayer but then we will also continue to keep all the children in prayer and being in school and being um, around influences that aren't godly as well Um, who wants to pray with monica on that And so what we'll do is, Monica, we'll have you start, and then Jamar will pray, and then I'll close this up, okay? Dear Lord, thank you for allowing us to come out tonight. Just have this chance just to, uh, first off, sing praises to your name and just uh, praise you, Lord, and just have this time to go through your word with these different challenges and just these um, different ways to think over your word. But now I just pray for just the request tonight, just for the kids in school, um, Monica's kids, and just all kids in the church and now in school, and just pray for them as they work through their studies, um, just learn math, science, just the basics of the Lord, and everything else that involves with going to school. And in this extra uh, difficulty of the day and age of COVID, the Lord, as school shutting down, and just uncertainty of what's going to happen when you go to school the next day, the Lord, and just pray you would use the parents just to encourage the kids and just keep them motivated to learn and not shut down and not to be de- uh, depressed. Also, that they will use their learning here in the church, the Lord, knowing that you are in control of everything, the Lord. That they have been in the church for a long time and they have learned that God is, is ruling over all of this. This is all going according to plan. And pray that they may use that as a way to help fight off the depression of just this, this weirdness of COVID and schooling right now, the Lord. Pray that they may stay motivated in their studies, stay motivated to learn and grow, and just also motivated to learn and grow in the church as well. Thank you for everything you've done, dear Lord. In the name of St. Jesus, amen. Lord God, we thank you for everything that you have done and everything that you will do. Lord God, I pray for all the children that are in school and having difficulties in school. Lord God, during this time of the pandemic, my children are suffering. Lord God, and there are other children who are out there suffering for whatever reason, whether it's computer problems, whether it's just having a hard time paying attention. Lord God, we ask that you just continue to help them. Let them know that they are not by themselves. They can always ask for help. Lord God, let them know that you are there to help them, to keep them moving forward, to help them complete the things that they need completed. Lord God, we thank you for everything that you have done and everything you will do. Amen. Lord, we continue in prayer. We just echo these prayers. Echo what Monica said, where there's a lot of kids who are doing virtual learning, Lord, and it is very difficult for younger children. Think of my own children who struggled during that time. We ask that you just be with these children, Lord, those who are um, struggling because of virtual learning, those who are struggling um, with just their um, schoolwork in different ways or their family life, which is making it hard to focus on school or kids who may be hungry or kids who may be in um, 
unsafe situations at home that are struggling, Lord. We just ask you to be with those. We ask that you just be with the little ones here in our church. Um, we first lift up Christopher as um, he's struggling with um, his, his reading and math, Lord. We ask that you just help him, help um, those around him to, to help tutor him and help it make sense to him and help him to succeed in that, Lord. And we just ask that, um, think of Naomi as she's struggling in school as well, Lord, that you just be with her, Lord. Help her with her forgetfulness and her responsibility to do well. We ask that you just be with all the little ones as they're in school and they're around some influences that are not godly, Lord, that they may be the most godliness that some of these kids see, Lord, that we ask that you just continue to just work through the teachers here, help them to speak your truth to these children, Lord. We ask that each one of them come to a salvation and a relationship with you, Lord, that you just do that work in their lives, Lord, even preferably for a lot of these parents I can speak, that it is at a young age, Lord, that they start to exhibit that, Lord, but we just ask that you continue to just speak to them, help them speak to the ones in school. We ask that you be with those of us who um, in the church work at CTA as they're constantly working and speaking uh, your truth to those children. We ask you continue to strengthen them and continue to just um, be, help them be a guiding light to the children and the youth of our um, world as well that are um, being ministered to by godly people as well. That you continue to just work in their lives. And in your name we pray.